the smart, the gifted, the intelligent, the spiritually dedicated, those keeping the law of Moses outwardly, those filled with religious practices. He said, you hid these spiritual truths from them and you re revealed them unto babes, babes like the prostitute caught in the act of adultery, babes like the man sitting beside the well waiting to be healed, babes like simple carpenters and fishermen. Okay, here we are back again. I am Michael Pearl, and I'm here to uh, give you a little Bible teaching for today. Now, uh, I was provoked the last time we did Revelation, which I think was our third time around. I came across a concept that I mentioned just a little bit in Revelation that I want to deal with here, and it's going to sound very strange to you. The Bible is written to blind. The Bible is not written to keep us safe from unbelief. In fact, it's written to facilitate skepticism, to increase the arrogant confidence of the proud while being a delight to those who love the very thought of God. The Bible is not a passive book. It's designed to divide, to melt the wax and harden the clay. It's alive and confidently stands alone as a solitary source of truth, never seeking affirmation, undeterred by doubtful disputations. It does not seek to defend its validity nor engage in self-advancement. The Bible has too much dignity to bargain, to beg, or to defend its integrity. It treats the impenitent and unbelieving with silent dismissal, yet it stands ready to accommodate the meek, to bridge the moral gap, to impart faith to the believing, and is patient with imperfections, ready to seek out the repentant and to forgive confessed faults and follies. It never turns away the poor in spirit, nor those enslaved to sin. It welcomes all who come, and makes a place for those whose faith is smaller than a grain of mustard seed. It shuns the proud and embraces the spiritual thirsty. It confuses the double-minded and is a fountain of understanding to the believing. Its light provides guidance to the believing while blinding the doubters. It never generates indifference. It is either loved or hated, and that by design. When it's done its sifting work, humanity's divided into wheat and chaff, some to everlasting life and some to everlasting shame and contempt. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight. Notice it calls the word of God his personal pronoun. But all things are naked and open under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Hebrews 4.12. Now I know that that is radical to many of you hearing it. And so I'm going to give you the scripture that is more radical yet still than what I just read. You will recall some of this scripture and you will recall being troubled by it 
when you heard it read or when you read it, wondering what in the world it could mean. How about it means exactly what it says? We're going to uncover that scripture for you here. Matthew 13, 9. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. And his disciples came unto him. Why speakest thou unto them in parables? So here was a question. Jesus was teaching in parables. And there were many who heard his parables who didn't understand them, who misinterpreted them, who threw them back at him with a different interpretation than his intention. And so they were questioning, why do you, why do you, why do you speak to them in this parabolic manner? Why not be more boldly? Tell them plainly. And he answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it's not given. And Luke 8.10 adds to it, That seeing they might not see, and hearing they might not understand. So Jesus' answer as to why he spoke in parables was that so they would see, but wouldn't actually see, so they would hear, but not understand, because it was not intended that they should see, hear, and understand. It was intended that the disciples, those within his, those within his family of hearers, that they should see and hear and understand, but not that everyone should. For whosoever hath to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance, but whosoever hath not from him shall be taken away even that that he hath. Therefore speak I unto them in parables. Because that, here's why he speaks in parables again, because they seeing, see not. While looking, they're not seeing. And hearing, they hear not. They heard the words, but they didn't hear with understanding. Neither do they understand. Now, you would think if they see and don't see and hear and don't understand, then why would you speak in parables? Why wouldn't you make it a little more plain where they would see and hear and understand? Because it was not his intention that they should understand what he was saying. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. So he's going to go back and quote a 700-year-old prophecy, which saith, quote, by hearing... Ye shall hear and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see and not perceive. Now, he said, by hearing ye shall hear and not understand. In other words, the means by which they fail to understand is the actual hearing. The hearing itself has the effect of creating a spiritual deafness. This people's heart, he said, is waxed gross. This is the reason. God causes them to be blinded when they see and deaf when they hear because the people's heart is waxed gross and their ears are dull of hearing. They've heard and heard and heard until it's like they lose their hearing like an old person who's had too many loud noises. Their ears are dull of hearing and their eyes they've closed. So that's an act of the will. There was, there was, Something there to see, but they closed their eyes. Lest at any time they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, should understand with their heart, should be converted, and I should heal them. So he said, here was an act of the will that they closed their eyes, they closed their ears. They didn't want to understand because had they understood, they'd have been converted and then God would have healed them. 
So in other words, there was a predisposition in the heart of the person hearing and seeing, listening to the parable, seeing Jesus. There's a predisposition to not believe. There was a predisposition to pride, to arrogance, to independence, to lack of humility. And so what Jesus is saying is that, as on another occasion, he performed some miracles. And the people all gathered around and wanted to make him king. And they just, thousands of them, clamored around him. And he had to escape out of their presence because what they wanted, he said, he said, you don't seek me for any other reason than you want your bellies full. You want the miracle of feeding the 5,000. You want to be fed. So there are many people who believed on Jesus during his lifetime because of the miracles. But then they fell away. They cried, crucify him later. So their belief was sprung from selfishness, not from a willing heart. And when Christ when the word of God detects an unwilling heart, when it detects selfish motives, insincerity, it does not seek to reach out with proofs. It does not come out with strong evidence. It does not attempt to vindicate itself. Because you can make believers out of unbelievers. I've seen it done. You can cause people to believe because they're overwhelmed with a witness of God in other people's lives, of miracles that they see. And suddenly they become believers. They join the church. They get baptized. They give some testimony. But then because their heart it was never receptive to begin with, they fall away. So God is not interested in clogging the church up with a large number of unbelieving in heart who believe outwardly like you believe in UFOs or, or some other strange phenomena that is not absolute proof, but there's evidence. Many people will believe in God the same as way they'd believe in a UFO. Blessed are your eyes, he said, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. Now here's what Isaiah said. They have not known nor understood, for they shut their eyes, that they cannot see, and they shut their hearts that they cannot understand. So Isaiah said that years earlier. 2 Corinthians 8, 2. For if there be first a willing mind, it is accepted according to what a man hath and not according to what he hath not. That's a pretty good principle. If there's first a willing mind, it is accepted by God according to that a man hath. In other words, just a little spark, just a, a flickering spark about to go out, God calls it a fire, a flame. God fans it into something much more. Just a little faith, and God calls it great faith. But where, it's, where the belief and the faith is founded in selfish heart, selfish motives, God sends a delusion, strong delusion, that they might believe a lie and be damned, according to Thessalonians. Luke 10, 21. In that hour, Jesus rejoiced in spirit and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and hast revealed them unto babes. 
Even so, Father, so it seemed good in thy sight. So, so Jesus is thanking God that he's hidden the truths from wise and prudent people, but revealed them unto babes. The smart, the gifted, the intelligent, the spiritually dedicated, those keeping the law of Moses outwardly, those filled with religious practices. He said, you hid these spiritual truths from them and you re reveal them unto babes, babes like the prostitute caught in the act of adultery, babes like the man sitting beside the well waiting to be healed, babes like simple carpenters and fishermen. And he turned unto his disciples and said, Probably blessed are the eyes which see the things which you see. John 7, 17. If any man will do his will, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. In other words, when the heart is willing, then the mind can perceive truth, fix on it, accept it and adopt it. But first, there has to be a willing mind. Now, the Pharisees interrupted Jesus' words when he was teaching in parables. And uh, they challenged him, and they gave a really stupid interpretation. You'll have to read it yourself in Luke 8. Excuse me, John 8. They gave a really stupid uh, interpretation of what he was saying. And he said to them, why do you not understand my speech? Even because you cannot hear my word, you are of your father, the devil. In the lust of your father, you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own for he is a liar and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, you believe me not. So he's getting at the source of their unbelief. Jesus didn't stoop to give them additional proofs. He didn't, he didn't express a broken heart that they didn't believe and try to bring them in on an emotional ride. He didn't turn to apologetics. He said, and because I tell you the truth, you believe not. Which of you convinceth me of sin? If I say the truth, why do you not believe me? He that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not because you are not of God. So in other words, there has to be a predisposition in the heart to love God, to know God, to want God. And when that is there, then you hear his words and you understand them. I've, I've been witnessing to people, sharing the gospel with them and telling them about sin and the consequences of it. And they'll say to me, but I don't understand. And I say to them, that's another one of your sins is you don't understand. And the reason you don't understand is your heart is not right with God. Romans eleven seven. What then? Israel hath obtained that which he seeketh not after, but the election hath obtained it, and the rest were blinded. God, it tells us there in Romans, blinded the eyes of the Jewish people because of their unbelief. According as it is written, God hath given them a spirit of slumber, eyes that they should not see, ears they should not hear unto this day. And David saith, let their table be made a snare, a trap, a stumbling block, a recompense unto them. 
let their eyes be darkened that they cannot see and bow down their back all way. So the reason the Jews have been in darkness these many years and found it so difficult to come to Christ, to believe on him, is because a supernatural blindness has come over them. And it'll bide upon them until the church is raptured out right here. And then at that time, the veil will be lifted and they will once again believe. Final verse here. This is an example of a believing heart. John 9, 35, Jesus heard that they cast him out, and when he had found him, he saith unto him, Dost thou believe the Son of God? And he answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? Now think about it. This guy had just been healed by Jesus, but he didn't know who Jesus was. He's blind. When he was blind, Jesus told him to get up, go wash, and come back, and you'll see. So the man is blind. He leaves, he comes back, and he sees. And so Jesus walks up to him and says, do you believe on him? And he said, Lord, who is he that I might believe? Now that's a willing heart. This, this guy's heart was in a believing frame of mind. And Jesus said unto him, thou hast both seen him and is he that talketh with thee. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. I run into people like that every once in a while who are great sinners. They may be addicted to drugs or pornography or prostitutes or alcohol or homosexuals or any number of states and conditions of sin. And uh, they're out in the world. They haven't been to church. They haven't been exposed to anything. And you go up and you say to them, would you like to he hear about Jesus? And they say, yeah, I've wondered about him. And you start telling them about Jesus and they look like you are giving them some great news about having won a lottery or something. They look like, where have you been all my life? I've been waiting to hear this story. And you give them the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they're believing from the moment you start describing and talking about Jesus, they're believing. And at some point in the conversation, they're born again before you even get to the part, ask Jesus in your heart. Because they just believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And they're transformed. I see tears come in their eyes. Some begin to weep. Some begin to laugh. And they begin to celebrate the fact that Jesus is their Savior and Lord and has forgiven all their sins. That's the kind of heart that understands. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. And Jesus said, for judgment I am coming to this world that they which see not might see. And they which see might be made blind. You remember what the subject was? The Bible is written to blind. So he said, For judgment am I come into this world, that they which see not might see, and they which see might be made blind. And some of the Pharisees which were with him heard these words and said unto him, Are we blind also? <laughs> That's the response, the angry response, the self-righteous religious response of those who thought they saw, but didn't. Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you should have no sin. But now you say, we see, therefore your sin remaineth. So he said, it was that very attitude that they were hip spiritually, that they were aware spiritually, they were okay, they were on good footing. It was that very state of mind that made them blind.
And he said, my words, I come here and I speak so that they will be made blind. So that these who claim to see will be made blind. And those who are truly blind, they'll come to see. So the Bible is written as a sword to divide. It's written to separate and pierce to the dividing of joints and marrow, right to the center of the bone and separate. And so that, that helps us to understand these scriptures and many more like it throughout the Bible. And uh, so that's all for today, folks.